Matthias, you've been here for a while, right? In Japan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, Matthew, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time. But since I found out that your mornings are like mine, you like the mornings, this is no hassle for you. Not at all. It's a per perfect time. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Let's start off with what I always start off with. Where were you born? So I was born in downtown Salt Lake City. Okay. Utah, United States. Right. And you had, do you have other siblings too? I do. I'm the oldest of six. Oldest of six. How many years between you and the youngest? Oh, between me and the youngest, there's probably a gap of about 15 years. 15 years, okay. Are all of you really close? We are. We are. All of you? All six of you? Yeah, all six of us are very close. That's interesting. That's yeah, really gr cool. growing up it was interesting. It was, I think, you know, my, my parents did a good job not only raising us, but letting us raise each other. So even within the house, mm -hmm. we had factions. Right. Um, where opinions diverged and um, very, very competitive. But, you know, as we grew up, um, we became very, very close. Tell and me tell me the mixture. Okay, boy. So you're, you're I'm, up to, I'm up top. Yes. Um, two sisters right below and then three boys um, to round things off. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And you said that you have... I mean, your parents... I, I know, but also your religion helped you stay pretty close together because that's a big cornerstone of the family is really important part of being a Mormon. It, it is. You know, yes. from, from a, a spiritual standpoint, a religious belief, right. um, you know, we are taught and, and firmly believe that families are forever. Right. And, you know, with that forever commitment, um, you do whatever you can to work through differences of opinions, mm -hmm. um, smooth out the bumps along the road. And, um, you know, we've really done a good job, you know, staying together. Um, you know, when we're in the same place, getting together, rallying around each other in difficult times. Mm. When I went to Salt Lake, I remember after I s met the mayor, the um, governor, and walking around the city, and I went to this one shop to buy some clothing. The tailor there, the guy there that owned it, took me around on a tour. We went into the temple and everything. And I told him a feeling I had. I said, if I were born here, there's no doubt that I would have been a Mormon. Mm. Yeah, the great great environment to to yes. grow up in. You know, very very supportive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being a, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints has has truly um, come with benefits and advantages um, because not only within your own family unit but within kind of the church unit, there's this idea of supporting and serving one another. So, I, I remember um, you know when I moved to law school. And we were in Salt Lake City at the time. I was just finishing up my degrees at the University of Utah. Mm -hmm. We were moving to Philadelphia uh, so that I could obtain a Juris Doctor from Temple University. And had no money, um, you know, had a lot of excitement because I was embarking on a three-year journey to, to pursue my law degree. Rented a U-Haul truck, packed up all of our belongings, put our da daughter um, in the seat in between me and my wife and off to Philadelphia we went knowing no one um, and when we pulled in called the local bishop and before you know it um, you know we had 20 people that were there to help us unload our truck we had people bringing us food we had people um, you know greeting us and these are people that we had never even yeah, met before yeah. um, so you know truly um, you know the, the mindset of, of service and kind of Christ-like love is, is one that 
Um, no one's perfect or even close to that, but it's a good goal, a good mm -hmm. aspiration, and you know mm -hmm. when you can implement that, even part of that, it makes a That's major right. difference. You make it look like I'm trying to get people to convert or something. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> oh, Matt. Let's go back to a little bit further. What type of child were you when you were growing up? Were you more academic or were you more physical? You know, inter in in interestingly, probably a combination of both. Um, and you know, just uh, share share just a, a couple of brief instances with you. I mean, you know, when I was three, um, I was taught as part of my religion that you know Sunday was the Sabbath day, and okay. it was a day that you devote to God and studying about Jesus Christ, and. Um, I also was taught that because it was a day of rest, you would go to church and then you would come home. You wouldn't but you go shopping. You're three years old, right? I was three years old. Wait, wait, wait. You, wait you, you didn't have all this concept in your head yet. Um, my parents, my, my parents had been teaching me that. Okay. And and you know, really interesting. Really interestingly, at the age of right. three, um, you know, I was the oldest. So mm -hmm. you know, I think my parents. But you didn't have my, other. You didn't have other siblings yet. No, and so my my parents okay. spent a lot of extra time on me. <laughs> And um, there, there was one day where um, I walked in the house and I declared to my mom, I said, Mom, when I grow up, I want to be a fire hydrant. Now, you're three, you're not talking at three now. What, what age are you now? Oh. You walk in the house. And oh, I'm three when I'm walking in the house. And I'm declaring I want to be a fire hydrant, to which my mother corrected me okay. and said, you mean a firefighter. Right. I'm three, right? Okay. And I said, oh, yeah, firefighter. Right. To which my mother um, looked at me and she said, that's a very dangerous job. Why don't we pick something else? And so even at the age of three, I started to think, okay, what should I be when I grow up? And so um, going back to the type of child that I was uh, on Sundays, because I could only go to church and then visit with, with family, and they had probably worn me out during the week, I would wander around the neighborhood. And so I went to my next door neighbor's um, house almost every Sunday. They would leave the door open and I would just walk in and I would strike up a conversation. And um, so I'd have a conversation. That's kind of neighborhood you lived in, yes. Yeah. So everybody I'd, was really close. Yeah, so. everybody's close. Strike up a right. conversation. And um, the man of the house, I think he would get a little bored and so he would light his mm -hmm. cigarette to which I would proclaim, you know, if you smoke, you're going to die. Wife thought it was the funniest thing in the world because she was trying to get him to quit, but he didn't take kind to that. Right. But it was every Sunday. So he would call my, my father and say, uh, Jim, can you come and get your son? So my dad would bring me home, and next stop along my route was, um, I don't know if you remember Donnie and Marie Osmond. Yes, okay. But um, their grandparents lived on my street, and so that was stop number two. So I would go in, walk into Grandpa and Grandma Osmond's house, and um, strike up a conversation and Grandpa Osmond, <laughs> at least as I remember, would get bored and so he would hand me um, TV guide after TV guide. And I'm three, I can't read. And there's no photos. You're telling me you're doing, it's there, hard there's to no see you at three, there's three no, doing can you Can you believe this? Okay. I mean, there, there, there is no photos in a TV guide. So I would get bored and then I would go to the next house, which was um, a widow named Alice. And um, Alice loved me coming over. And mm -hmm. I, I still can remember, on her floral patterned sofa with afghans that she had knitted, having a conversation with Alice. And I said, Alice, I said, what should I be when I grow up? And Alice looked at me and she said, what are you good at? Now, if you ask a three-year-old what they're good at, I mean, they have no idea. And so I said, Alice, I said, I don't know, what am I good at? She said, Matt, she said, um, you are good at talking. And I said, oh. So she said, let's think of some jobs that uh, talking would be something that you would be good at. 
So I, I remember her saying, maybe you could be a teacher. And I asked what that was, and she described it. Um, she said, um, maybe you could be a politician. I don't remember what she said. I just remembered okay, I had a hard right. time with the word. I understand. And, and so I don't remember what the explanation was. And she said, um, you know, maybe you could be a, a lawyer. And I said, what's a lawyer? She said, well, a lawyer is somebody that talks a lot, somebody that helps people. And she said, your dad's a lawyer. And so at that point I in time, when I was, you, yeah, yeah. at that point in time when I was three, I went, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. And then, you know, fast forward, um, you know, here I am in, I think I was in first grade at the time, had a Japanese elementary school teacher in Salt Lake City. Um, her name was, was Mrs. Fuji. And um, I would complete my work and my tasks so quick that um, I would get bored. And so when she was not looking, she'd turn her head, I would just dart out of the room and I would go into the library pull an encyclopedia off of the shelf and just start to read. And to her credit, she didn't stop me. Um, you know, she, would, she came to me and she said, Matt, I need to know when you're leaving. So as soon as you are done with your assignments, just let me know and then you can go into the library and you can read. And so it became my challenge to get done with my assignments and my work as quick as I could so because I really wanted to learn. And so I would just dart off to the library by myself and I would just open up the encyclopedia and, and I would read. So that, that was probably you know, the age of six or, or seven. Okay, now but sports, what kind of sports did you eventually get involved so in? So I, I love sports. Um, mm -hmm. and, well, know, I know from your nose being broken the other day that, playing baseball. That's Which right. You, you, had on your, you had on your Facebook page, you said, concrete one, Matt zero. <laughs> <laughs> and your nose all swollen up. I know, at the, at the time, I, at, the, at, the, at the age of, I think I was 50, 50 at the time, I would, not okay. I would not recommend it. But no, I think, you know, baseball, baseball was, was um, a big part of my life um, very early on. So um, that's okay. Basketball, you know, I was always the shortest um, until probably my senior year of high school, but I was very quick. Mm -hmm. And um, it probably explains um, why I'm a good outside shooter in basketball, because I was so short and I needed to get over everybody, right? Okay. So really, really baseball and basketball, but anything with the ball, except for probably soccer, um, okay. you know, I have been involved was in. That, was that really popular when you were growing up? Um, soccer? Yes. Not at all. I didn't think um, so. I didn't think so. It'd be no. Football, if anything. Yeah, and, and foot football, I had a lot of people encourage me to play football because of my speed, but my parents wouldn't let me because it was smart. too dangerous. You probably didn't have the weed either. Oh yeah, I but did. They, they I, I did not. It wouldn't have mattered. They would have killed you. Oh, they would have killed me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, and, you wouldn't and be talking like you're talking now. No. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> my my nose would not have been the issue. There would have been much more. But you know, I, I ran I ran track um, and um, Utah incredible um, skiing. Mm -hmm. My parents didn't ski, so I taught myself how to ski, played tennis, wait, wait, wait. you know, taught myself how to play golf. Um, wait, 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 mom and dad were involved with you. You're the first child. Oh, yes, absolutely. So how did your other brothers and sisters turn out? Were they just as precocious as you were? Uh, you know, everybody's different. I mean, everybody's completely But anyone different. close to you? Who's the closest to being like you? Oh, you know, I... I hmm. It's a really that's a hard one. Yeah, that's a, that's a really okay, good question. Okay. I mean, you know, my, my sister directly below me 
is incredibly tenacious okay. and incredibly competitive. And, you know, particularly since the two of us were so close. Okay. I mean, you know, I talked about factions. She was the head of one. I was the head of other. I mean, now we're incredible friends. <laughs> but, um, but growing up, that gr was gr gr growing, growing up, it was You're each of those nemesis, that's right? That's right. You know, and, and she wouldn't back down and I wouldn't back down, right? You know, I, I, I would say um, in terms of, of similarities, probably number five, um, Steve. Steve. Um, is Very probably similar. kind of the closest in terms of, of okay. you know, similarities. But no, he, was no, he was no competition to you because your age was so far No, ab apart. absolutely. Right, from, so from, from my mindset, it was more of a mentorship. Right, that's what I was thinking. That's how you'd look at it. Yeah. But you could see that he had that drive and he wanted to win. And absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> That's interesting because the dynamics of a family are so important. It really does make who you become. It does. In yeah, there's, there's no question. Wow. Do okay. all of you, all of your siblings have children? We do. We do. All of you do. Are you the only one that lives outside the United States? Yes. Yeah. The only one that lives outside the United States. The only one that's ever lived outside the United States. But did you ever travel as a family when you were younger? Did you travel? Your father so, was a lawyer. Well, so, so you know, it's, it's really interesting, you know, because the, the lawyer... In, in my father's, a little deceptive, um, simply because um, we never had any money. Um, okay. And well, you had six kids. Well, I mean, come si on. six kids. Um, yeah, he was um, a lawyer for the Utah state government. Back in the day, um, governmental lawyers were, were paid very little. And um, so, you know, part of my drive growing up as a child was understanding my parents did not have money. And um, trying to go out and saying, okay, I'm going to take care of myself. So, I mean, even, I mean, the minute that I turned 14, I was eligible to, to throw papers and have a paper route. And so, boom, you know, now I'm a, a paper boy. I'm going to be able to take care of myself. You know, I'm not going to have to rely on my parents. So, I mean, that was my mindset, you know, all the way up, you know, through college, you know, law school and the like was, okay, I need to support myself. And your mother took care of the home. She did. She did. Mm. I mean, she... And that's she, a full-time job. It's a full-time job with six <laughs> kids and, you know, and trying She's not to, getting paid for it. No, trying to give us all opportunities. Right. You know, she would, um, to, to supplement the income, she would teach piano lessons. Uh, but, you know, part of a mother's sacrifice for a son was, uh, I could play the piano pretty well. And so she wanted me to have the best of the best in terms of, of piano teachers. And so I graduated from her very quickly. And so now she's paying somebody else to teach me. And then I graduate from that teacher. And now I'm training with a concert pianist who um, charges a lot. But my mother was insisting that she wanted to at least give me that opportunity. So, you know, kudos to her. But... Um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, so our, our family vacations, we had a big green station wagon, and um, it was driving wherever my father had a work convention, and um, so we would just drive. But that was fun for you guys when you were young, I bet you. It was, it was, yeah, you know. You it didn't was, know, you didn't know. We, we, we didn't know. I mean, there was, one, there was one year where my father was kind of in between jobs. Um, he had been with the Security and Exchange Commission, had gotten laid off, economy wasn't good. And, um, you know, our vacation was literally going to the next town over, going to a public park and um, spending the day there, right? I mean, so that was one type of a vacation. Two, um, you know, one year there was a legislative conference because uh, he worked for the Utah State Legislature um, in San Diego. And so, you know, boy, we had never been to California before. And 
So <laughs> we, we went. Um, the conference hotels were the Intercontinental Hotel. And um, I don't remember how he pulled it off, but anyway, somehow we ended up with two rooms. I'm sure he got one for work and decided to pay for another one. And um, so as, as the oldest, I was in charge of one room. My parents were in the other room. And as we were exploring, um, we stumbled across this mini bar. And um, the, the mini bar had all this free food and, and snacks and, and drinks. And so I, I, rem I remember, I remember, um, I remember um, my, my sister, I think, you know, tasted, it was like tonic water or something like that. And she's like, ooh, she dumps it all out in the sink. Mm -hmm. And so the, the next day when they came to service the room, um, I mean, we had cleared out like everything that was <laughs> non-alcohol based. All this free, right? free, all stuff, this free right? stuff. And they presented my dad with a bill. And um, boy, I'll tell you, I mean, he was not only ready to blow, but we checked out of that hotel, <laughs> found a Days Inn near the Tijuana border. <laughs> <laughs> the pool was boarded up. <laughs> so we went from this, this beautiful intercontinental hotel overlooking San Diego Bay to this days in on the Tijuana border. Um, our whole um, vacation budget. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> the family, the six kids. That is so interesting. That's a good yeah. one. That's a good story. So tell me, so growing up, after you finished let's say junior high school, you go to high school, mm -hmm. you start thinking about what your career is going to be, for real. Oh, I would start, I'm starting from the age of three. <laughs> you so, already so, knew at the age of well, three I, I, that I, you're I, gonna be a lawyer. This, I'm gonna be a lawyer. Absolutely, and I talked to my dad constantly anytime I would find. Um, so that never changed? Uh, yeah, never changed. Yeah, every, anytime I would find a lawyer, um, you know, we would have a conversation. My father would take me to like work events so I could meet other lawyers. And um, it never changed. And so, like in junior high, they would give me aptitude tests, you know, right, okay. fill out, you know, what are your interests because they wanted to give you a picture of what you wanted to do. And I would try and game those aptitude tests because I'm like, hmm, how would a lawyer answer this, right? <laughs> so, so that the test could confirm to me that, okay. you know, and so at the end of the day, I'd, I was, oh, yeah, definitely so want to be a lawyer. So, so even, even in high school, it was what classes do I take? What activities do I engage in that are going to help me become a lawyer? So speech and debate was a big part of it. And, and you're good on the debate team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, okay, so then I you did, I did, high school, I did well. You go into college. Mm -hmm. Where'd you go? To Brigham Young? Um, no, Brigham Young University was a swear word in our house. Uh, what, what was that? Your father tried to get in, he wouldn't get, they didn't let him or something? Or no, no, it's, it's, so it's very, <laughs> it's very interesting growing up in Utah. So Brigham Young University is a, um, a university operated by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, just up the road in Salt Lake City, you've got the University of Utah, and they're incredibly fierce rivals when it comes to athletics. Okay. And not only did I grow up in a University of Utah household, um, you know, my, my grandfather was a professor of civil engineering at the University of Utah. You know, my father had gone to the University of Utah. My mother had gone there. So All of my serious, aunts and uncles. Serious yeah. rivalry. It, serious rivalry. I mean, you know, when University of Utah and Brigham Young University play, I mean, you know, pranks happen between, you know, families and, you know, from university to university. You know, University of Utah folks, like, they would sneak down to Provo, Utah, and in the, the fountains they would put red dye because mm -hmm. red is University of Utah colors, and you know, 
Brigham Young University would come up and they would try and paint something on the, there's a block U on the mountain just up mm -hmm. in Salt Lake to try and paint it blue. And mm -hmm. So anyway, I mean, just really, really an intense rivalry. So there was no way ever I would go be to going Brigham to Brigham Young University. So, so I went to the University of Utah for a year. Um, and, and University of Utah um, for a year initially. And you know, as, as a member of my church, completely volunteer. Um, you do not have to do it, but I felt um, compelled to volunteer to serve to become a service missionary. Um, you know, to go out and to serve others and You'd do service elder, projects right? and to proselyte, yeah, beca right. become an elder. And um, you do not get any money from the church. Um, I understand, you have to work your way back, they say in a way. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, no money from the church. Um, it's either you, your parents, your, your local congregation. Uh, provides the financial support. Uh, you know, the church has missions around the world, and so I volunteered. And um, do they pick the place, or you get to pick where you want to? No, they pick. That's what I thought. It's so, like you, so you're paying for it, right? Right. And you don't get a pick. So I tell people that my experience in Japan was involuntary yet voluntary, gotcha. in terms of coming here. Yes. Because yes. I had no interest in Japan whatsoever. Except for that one teacher you had. Except for Miss you Fuji. You're right, Miss Fuji. Yeah. And my neighbor across the street actually, um, Mimi was her name. Okay. She was Japanese, married to a Mexican gentleman. Okay. And so um, every day during the summer, um, we would play baseball with their son and daughter right. out in front of the house. So, I mean, I, I had a lot. I didn't realize it at the time. The seed was planted. That's yeah, the there, was, there, was, there was so much. And I, and I had a, a number of friends that um, the Kimuras um, were on my baseball team, right? And so, so I didn't realize it, but surrounding me were all of these just incredible, um, you know, either first generation or second generation, you know, Japanese that um, were a big part of my youth. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when I first received the assignment from, you know, the church, I was sitting here thinking, hmm, Let's see, I know the Japanese, they eat rice, and I, I hated rice. I mean, American rice is terrible, the long grain stuff. I'm like, this tastes like cardboard. And, and this is back in the 1980s, you know, the idea you that- You never had good rice. Well, never had good rice. And, and, you know, the idea that I would eat raw fish, I'm like, I'm a meat and potatoes kid, right? I mean, there's no way I'm eating anything raw. And, right. you know, I tried to learn French <laughs> in middle school, okay. and, and, that, and that was a no-starter. I mean, it was a learn-and-purge class where, you know, at the end of the day, after three years, I could count to 100, tell right. my girlfriend Jennifer I loved her in French, and tell people I'm not a pencil, right? I mean, that was, that was the extent of what it was. Okay. And um, so I'm like, there's no way I'm learning Japanese. So my immediate impression is my, my parents and friends and family were like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going, how do I diplomatically unvolunteer? I'm like, this is not good, right? But upon reflection, that was where I was like, you know, I, I've come into contact with all these wonderful Japanese people. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm doing this for others. I'm not doing this for myself. And uh -huh. I'm sure, you know, God's got his hand in this. He's gonna take care of me. <laughs> Please. Help, help, help me out, right? Help me. So, so anyway, off, off to Japan I went okay. and- um, Where was know. it? Where did you go? Hokkaido. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so cold. 
So, so, I was close. I was, Were you really? I was, I was close. Yeah. So there, there's, 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 really sent yeah, so there, there's, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a couple cities right below Wakanai. One's called Nairo. And, 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 and the other one is Shibetsu. <laughs> Shibetsu, yes. And so, yeah, I was in both of those uh, cities for a, for a stint. But, um, yeah. You, it, you and how many other people? How many people? So, to so, so, so it's usually have two. It's, yeah. So it's interesting. So, I mean, they, 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 they pair you up. Right. right? So, um, it, in those small cities, um, I was in an apartment of two. Uh, other cities, I'll have an apartment of four. So, like I was in a city between Asaikawa and you mean Sapporo. Village. You mean that city, that little village? Oh, area. Uh, it is. It, it, abso village, it yeah. ab absolutely is a village. Yeah. So, <coughs> you know, it was, it was, it was really interesting, um, though. Um, you know, for the missionaries that go to Hokkaido, you know, the, the term is, okay, you're one of the frozen chosen. <laughs> And it was so cold because. But you wait. You were nineteen or twenty. How old were you? So I was. I was eighteen when I. Eighteen. Uh, eighteen when I volunteered. Eighteen when I entered the mission field. Because you spent. It's okay. So you went into college when you were seventeen, obviously. I did. So okay. I'm, I'm like the youngest right. um, in my grade. I so I was so, always yes. the latest to get my driver's right. license. The latest to. Um, yeah, the latest. But you were a good student, date. weren't you? You got I, good I, grades. I was. I was the smallest, easiest to pick on. Got this was going to say that. So that affected you in some ways. I mean, being the smallest. Oh yeah. I would think mine was a little bit different. I wasn't. My grades were no good, but my father put me in a year early. Oh, interesting. And that yeah. is really hard for a boy. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we developed so slow in the first place. Yeah. So I was always the the least mature. Mm -hmm. I was the weak. I could never hit the tether ball hard enough. Right. They could throw yeah. me around. They could. They were forever swinging me around by my arm. Yeah. You know, and letting me go and roll all over the place. So it was just. Really I, 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 I remember those days well. <laughs> well, and it was uh, there. There, there was. So not just me. <coughs> no, there, there, there was a, there was a point. And it probably was. I think it was at the end of elementary school, going into middle mm -hmm. school, where there was some talk about um, putting me in the grade ahead. And, and and I was I was the youngest, right? In my Already. in my in my grade. Already. And yeah. then to advance me another year, and I thought about it, and I just told my parents. I said, I'm I'm just not interested. Um, mm, that was and good. So yeah, that I would think, have put you in. The, I think that, that would have put you in a nerd mode because you would have really been isolated. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's no question about it, right? Yeah. Because I do remember, <laughs> you know, elementary school days being swung around by my arms and, and thrown. And just thrown, yeah. and you just, <laughs> just, just, just a, please let just me wear some please. Thing, please. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be studying with those guys that are older <laughs> than me. I'm like, they'll kill me. Right. That's interesting. So okay, so you come, you go to Hokkaido. So you're up there for how long? Two years. So, so it, it's a two-year commitment. I got, I got really sick, um, and so when I was up in Hokkaido, when you talking about when you first heard you were going to go? No, it was after, after the fact. I mean, yeah, long, long wow. story, long, long story short. I mean, I, um, I, I started to, of all things, have problems with my earlobe. And, and so every, every time I would go indoors, uh, my earlobe would grow to another degree. And I had this, this massive ball inside of my earlobe in the middle of the winter. And I'm, I'm in Shibets. And um, so I, I asked a church member for a doctor referral. And so they sent me to their doctor um, and I walked in. Um, I'm sure this gentleman had received his training prior to World War II. I he wanted to lance it immediately. There's no question. I wish. I mean, he, he, he looked at my ear, and he was feeling it, and it really hurt. And, you know, every time I would go in, you know, it would just throb. And so he looked at it, and he was like, hmm, gone No, he did not. He said, this is cancer. I know, I understand. And, yeah. and, and you know, this is pre-internet days, and I'm thousands and thousands of miles away from my parents. 
And I've got this, this gentleman who's probably 80 or 85 who's looking at my earlobe telling me that I have cancer in most likelihood. And I'm sitting here going, I've never heard of cancer of the earlobe, but in my mind I'm going, I guess you could get cancer anywhere. And then I'm like, but at least it's in my earlobe. So, <clears throat> you know, if they, catch, if they caught it quick enough, maybe it won't you know, spread to my brain. So here I am 19 at the time, just really, thoughts, yeah, just right. all these thoughts. And so, so he said, I'm gonna refer you to a cancer specialist in Nairo, which is another village. The fact that they had a cancer specialist there, now that I reflect, I'm like, How, what, why did they have a cancer specialist there, right? <laughs> um, but anyway, so, so, so I go, and um, so this is probably the youngest doctor in the world. And they are so enamored at this hospital by seeing someone who has blonde hair and blue-eyed that, you know, they've sent in probably every nurse that they have in the hospital. To make sure they get a chance to see To make see sure they right. get a chance. And the doctor's looking at this, and he starts to laugh. And he said, this isn't cancer. He said, you got frostbite so bad that he said, every time you go indoors is when it hurts the most, right? I said, yeah. And he said, you got frostbite so bad that the pores froze shut. And so every time that you go in and you start to sweat, you know, the, you, the sweat can't come out. And so the sweat's kind of like crystallized. And so he's giving me this explanation. Oh. And, you know, maybe I missed some of it, you know, right. given my Japanese level. But I thought that he was going to lance it. But Dude. he gave me medicine, like seven or eight different types of medicine, which set off a chain reaction. I'm sure I was allergic to this medicine. And I just kept on taking it, taking it. Couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, couldn't think. And um, so went to the point where I went to the local hospital in Shebets, and they didn't want to check me in. So every day they would put me on a table, give me an IV, and, and this, went, this went on for like a week and a half. And at that point in time, you know, I'd lost probably 25 pounds that I didn't have in the first place. And, you know, I, I was like, there's a mission leader that was down in Sapporo, Japanese fellow. And, and I just, I couldn't communicate how serious this was and where I was. But I just, I got to the point where I called him up. I'm like, I'm done. I said, you know, as much as I uh, believe in this and what I'm doing and I want to help people, there's other ways to do this. I'm going to die. Um, I need to go back to the U.S. and I need to get How long had you been here by that time? And I, I'd been in Japan probably nine months at the time. Nine months by that time. Nine months nine by that months. point in time. You know and how much of that was spent being sick? The last oh, two probably months? probably the last month. The um, last, the last month. month. You know, I, I I fought that off for a, for a month, but um, so I, I left, and um, you know there was um, you know, a lot of disappointment because I had had um, anticipated fully, you know, doing the entire two years, but I mean there were so many lessons that I learned in that uh, and became you know much much stronger person through all of that, and you know literally from a, a physical standpoint, you know I have never been sicker in my life, so kind of hitting physical rock bottom, you know, the mental toll that that takes, you know, here I am as a missionary trying to serve others and, and perform Christ-like service and kind of, you know, hitting, you know, rock bottom across the board. Uh, I mean, I think oftentimes in your darkest hours, you learn a lot. And so That's I learned a lot about myself and, and, you know, my resolve to do good and to serve others. Um, you know, that became even stronger. My relationship with God became even stronger. Um, you know, How did they treat you when you came back? Were they, were they sympathetic to your... Uh, it, dep it depended on the person, really. <laughs> So some of the guys were really upset with you yeah, because, for not toughing it out. Yeah, and, and, and I think that was, um, you know, I, I think it was, a, it was a different day, you know, and I think a lot of, lot of people 
didn't know, you know, why I would turn around and, and come back. They didn't realize that I was, you I was so sick. I, I, I would. But, you know, in a conversation or something like that, right, you know, if they're like, oh, you know, oh, hey, yes. did you serve a mission? Yeah, was it two years? No, it was like, you know, a year. And then people would look at you like, so what, what, what did you do? Yeah, right, right, right. You know, and then, it, well, I got really sick, you know, and then you can kind of see the wheels moving in you. people's eyes, right, in right. terms of are they judging. And, and at, f at first that really bothered me, right? I, I did have a neighbor um, come up to me like shortly after I got home and he knew that I'd been sick. And um, I was out shooting baskets on, on the hoop and, you know, I'd been back for like probably two or three months and I'm just kind of nursing myself back to health. And, he was just like, you know, we were so proud of you when you left, but when you came home, things changed. And he just turned around and walked away. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't believe that anyone would, would say something like that. Now, he was the exception. And, you know, there how, long were did that, how long did that haunt you? Well, you know, you're talking about it now, so well, <laughs> well, <laughs> it hasn't no, left you yet. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it's one of those things Jeez. where, you know, I, 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 I'm very, very optimistic, right? And so even when you have something like that happens, you know, the negativity drives me to be positive. Mm -hmm. And so in my life, like from our church, when I have seen missionaries volunteer and go out and struggle, maybe it's physically, maybe it's mentally, spiritually, whatever it is, um, that comment of that neighbor has driven me my entire life to go above and beyond to support do others, right? right? So. So it's one of those things where, you know, at the time, disappointed, haunted for a while. But, you know, as I reflected on that, I was like, boy, you know, I, I never would want to make that comment and hopefully inspire others, you know, to do that. So when we, we lived in Wyoming, um, sure enough, neighbor across the street, um, he went to South America, ended up getting a tapeworm, um, got really, really sick, um, similar, had to come home. You know, parents were just, you know, devastated. But I was able to go and have a conversation with the parents about, look, this was my experience. This is where I ended up. Your son's going to be fine. He needs to get healthy. And then when the son came home, he was so discouraged, you know, I was able to have the conversation with him. That's good. Right? And yeah. so I, I, could, I, could, I could see having that conversation, you know, his mood flipped immediately because he's like, okay, this isn't something that I did, right. you know, to cause this. Right. And it's something that I can grow from. Oh, that's so wonderful. Taking that's that wonderful. negative and flipping it positive. Isn't it something? Yeah. It's interesting. It seems like this, this journey we're all on, what they say, I've heard the same before. They say, they say experience is something you always get. 10 minutes after you really need it. Absolutely. Life is that way. If everything goes fine, you're not learning anything. Not at all, right? It, it's really nothing to push you. Yeah, I mean, and, there, there, and there's opposition in all things, right? That's and, right. And you know, through that opposition, you know, at that point, I think that's where you truly grow. Right? You find out who you are. The yeah. military does it, being in the, having gone to the military. I didn't need it like a lot of the guys did because I was raised by my father. Mm -hmm. But the basic training, that's what that's all about. It they is. Want, they want you to learn that it's an inside-out proposition, right? Not an outside-in. Absolutely. And yeah. you find out who you are, and it's not everyone makes it through. They they don't. You know. And so. and you know, I think in life, I'm a big believer. Is we make mistakes. I mean, that's where we learn. That's where we grow. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to do that again, or you know, I'm going to do that differently, right? And it's really focusing on, you know, what are you going to do better next time around? 
When you got home and you got off the overnight, you, you nursed yourself back into health, then where'd you go? What happened from there? So that was really interesting. Um, you know, in downtown Salt Lake City, there was a, um, a congregation um, that um, church services were held in Japanese. And, and I was, um, you know, I was bent on not only physically recuperating, but not losing my Japanese. And so I was like, okay, what can I do to keep my Japanese up? And, you know, I really, in that period of time, grown to love and respect the Japanese. And so showed up at, at church and was listening to church services in Japanese. And, and one day, um, as I was sitting on the front row of Sunday school and getting ready to do Bible study, um, and um, sweet young thing comes and, and sits two chairs away from me. There's no one in the middle, and we strike up a conversation. And um, after church, continue to talk, and I invite her to go to a movie the next night. I show up, and um, she doesn't answer the door. My future wife answers the door. And so we had, we had one date, and um, I ended up um, at that time, um, you know, meeting my wife. And, um, you know, we, that week, um, I had a second date with um, the lady. Her name was Ayako, and I went to pick her up, and she wasn't there. She had oh, so she's staying, she, they were staying together? In, in the same place. In the same uh, well, place, okay. actually, different apartments, same building, gotcha. but Ayako had asked my wife, Noriko, future wife Noriko, to come and check me out um, and kind of interview me before they went out. <laughs> well, it was Ayako's fault. She she was she was dating three people at the time. So when I went for when I went for to pick her up the second time, there was a letter on her door to me that was written in Japanese, and I couldn't read and write at the time. You know, I could do maybe hiragana and some katakana, but you know, it was kanji and. So I was like, okay, this is like a dear John letter or an emergency. Something happened. And so as I was thinking about solutions, I was like, oh, yeah, Noriko, she lives in this building. So I went to the, the mailboxes, and she had put her last name there. And I was like, Japanese name, got to be her. Went and knocked on the door and asked her to read me the letter. And I think I came out of her apartment five or six hours later. So we just <laughs> talked and talked. And That's, talked. Beautiful. So, That's beautiful. So it was great. Um, about a month later, um, so Noriko was out of money, headed back to Japan. Pre-internet days, um, you know, telephone calls are two minutes or two dollars a minute, mm -hmm. and um, I was just like, okay, she's the one. She's special. I have no money. Um, if I don't act now, you know, I may lose her forever. So at the end of a month, with a lot of prayer, a lot of faith, I asked Noriko to marry me, and um, five months later, we were married. She didn't leave then. No, she left. She went back to Japan, but I chased her back here. So we ended up getting married in, in Guma Prefecture in, so in she, Takasaki. So she came, you, you got, you, you're in the funds and stuff yeah. and flew yourself back out of here. Yeah. Credit did you ever go back? Credit, then you did go back because you talked about. I, I, I did. So, <clears throat> so, we, so we were here. We got married here. Um, again, both of us college students, no money. Um, even without a college degree, you know, up in Guma Prefecture, you know, I could make pretty good money, you know, teaching English. Um, I created my own um, English school. My mother-in-law taught Ikebana and she taught Shuji and so she had a classroom that you know I could use to teach English and so I, I did that for several months where I was probably teaching you know 45 hours a, a week and um, going okay this is great but I want to be an international lawyer right I want to be a lawyer now it's international because of the Japan connection and so I'm like hmm I don't know if this is going to get me where I want to go let me look and see if I can get a job with a Japanese company and so 
Um, I, um, I looked at the Japan Times back in the day, if you remember, every Monday they would have their big job boards. That was where everybody found their, their bilingual jobs. And as, as I would go to the um, train station in Guma and the city that we were in, that was the only place that sold the Japan Times. And I, every Monday would get it and I would look. And there was a, a company called Yokogawa Denki that had a subsidiary in the city next to where we were. Um, that was in Ashikaga in Tochigi. And um, they were looking for somebody who could do international marketing, technical translation, and they wanted a native English speaker. And I was like, okay, so how many people are in Tochigi <laughs> that could do that, right? I'm like, there's probably not very many. And I said, the fact that you know, I now live in this area, like literally in the city next door, right? In, in Guma Prefecture and Kiryu, I'm like, <clears throat> maybe I've got a shot. But all these obstacles against me, right? I mean, I don't really read and write Japanese very well, and they want somebody to do translation. Like, that's a problem. I have no experience doing international marketing. That's kind of a problem. I don't have a college degree. Okay, that would be, you know, an issue. Um, you know, here I am, like 20 at the time. Um, I look very young, and so when I was 20, I probably looked like I was 12, right? Right, right, right. And, and, and so I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get this job. But I'm like, you know what? Never stopped me before. <laughs> Always, you know, just press forward. If I could work for a Japanese company doing this, this would be a great springboard to career in international business law. And so um, I, ha I had my wife put together my re resume in Japanese. Remember, I don't you know, write right, very well. Right. And it looked really cool you know, when it got done. And you know, I did my cover letter. And interestingly, you know, this company made hydrological and meteorological instruments. And one of the classes that I had taken at the University of Utah as part of my undergraduate kind of you know, general studies was a meteorology class. <laughs> And so, I, so I talked about the meteorology class. I talked about being able to speak Japanese. I, I spoke about all of the things that I had done um, you know, in high school, you know, my missionary service and the like. And off it went, and I got a call. They wanted to interview me. And I was like, oh, I am in trouble, because I'm sure they're going to ask me, you know, can you read and write Japanese? And I'm going to have to be truthful, right? Um, you know, honesty and integrity are, are a major part of who I am. And I was just like, OK. If I say no, there's no way I'm getting the job. You know, if they ask me about my experience doing marketing and translation, I really don't have you know much, if any. Like that's going to be a problem. <clears throat> you know, every place I'm going to have a shortcoming. So I was reflecting back to what my strengths were, right? Because I'm selling my strengths not only in my cover letter, but I've got to do it in person now. And I'm like, my strengths talking. And, and so my, my strategy going in was I was going to try and flip the interview so that instead of the interviewer asking me questions, yeah. I was going to ask the interviewer questions instead, right? So, so, um, so Sato Bucho, um, you know, he got in probably two questions before I flipped it. And um, so I just was asking questions after question after question. And I was kind of, it was going really well, and at least so I thought. And, um, I, but I was running out of material. And so I, I asked him a random question. I said, you know, if you were to hire me for this position, is there anything that I would be, you know, anything that I would need to do like after company hours? And he reflected on that. He's like, well, you know, we, we would have overtime from time to time. Um, you know, we are like a family here. We go and sing karaoke. We go drinking. We go out to dinner. If 
from a company standpoint, we have company bowling outings, we do company picnics. He said, we have a company baseball team. There was my in. Okay. And so I was like, really? You've got a company baseball team? He said, yeah, we take it like really serious. We play against other companies. You know, it's our goal to make it to like the company World Series. Mm. And, and I said, wow. I said, you know, I've played baseball since the age of three. And I said, <laughs> I said, I said and, 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 I, and, he, and he's like, really? I said, yeah. He's like, what position do you play? I said, well, I play shortstop. <laughs> I play first base. I play third base. I said, during high school, they converted me into a pitcher. And I said, in one baseball game, I struck out 15 batters with my wicked curveball. And he was so excited that he ran over to the phone, literally picked it up. And I hear him talking to somebody. And he mm. said, hey, you know, we're interviewing for this position. I've got this American guy in here. Um, he could pitch on our baseball team. And then I hear a height, height, right? You know, okay, you know, I understand. So he said, follow me. So. Before I know it, you know, up three flights of stairs um, to the CEO's office, where for the next hour we talked about the differences between American baseball and Japanese baseball. Nothing about, about your job. Nothing about my job. Nothing about my abilities. Nothing. It was all baseball, right? Um, you know, why do Japanese teams bunt versus you know U.S. teams, which you know hit for the fence? I mean, just you know those those type of questions. And so I walked out of there going, I've got this. And you knew it. I knew it. And I got the job. Yeah. Um, and you know, how long did you work for them? So, so I worked for I worked for Yokogawa probably for um, it, you know interesting story um, probably four years, but it was um, a little. I mean, I don't do anything in a straight path, you know, okay. as you're kind of <laughs> discovering, right? Okay. Um, but so, so I worked for them probably for two and a half years, maybe no, coming up on about three years, and. Uh, the international work was drying out, and they didn't have a lot of work. And so I would just go in every day and go over my original translations, which were terrible, <laughs> okay. and you know f fix those. Uh, but I felt really bad that you know here I am showing up every day at the company, drawing a salary, really not having a lot to work on. And so I decided I was going to go and get a Japan Times and kind of check out what was there. And so. <coughs> ended up landing a job with a Sony Group company, um, professional audio and video department, doing translation and desktop publishing. And I told Yokogawa, I said, look, I said, I feel really bad about not having work. So I said, why don't we do this? Um, I've got another job. I haven't accepted it yet. Let me take it. That'll be my full-time job. And then I will do all of your jobs on a freelance basis. And you know, I have a two and a half one way, two and a half hour, one way trip into Tokyo every day. So that gives me five hours on the train. And um, I'll just pick up any work that you have. I'll translate it on the train um, and you know, translate it on the way back, type it up, I'll bring it, I'll drop it off to you the next morning at 5.30 a.m. And they're like, that's great. So I continued to play baseball for them. Okay, that's um, what I was gonna say, you know, that had to be one of yeah, the Yeah, I continue to play baseball for them. Um, you know, I'd, I'd been kind of with Sony Group for a year or so and um, Yokogawa came to me and said, hey, we, we would like you to go to the Philippines for three or four months. And I'm like, I'm working for these guys. And they're like, we've got this massive job. You have been working on all of the um, explanation manuals, right? We need um, your expertise. We're gonna send you with an engineer. And at that point in time, I was like, okay, this is probably a good time for me to quit Sony, go to the Philippines. Went, went to the Philippines for about four months. Um, came back, finished up um, my last year at the University of Utah. So I got two degrees from the University of Utah in two years. Um, wow. A year before my mission, 
and then a year after all of that, and then off to law school I went. Wow, so. that is beautiful. What a story, my yeah, goodness. Yeah. So tell me this, so now, where are you now in your life? I know you're the, you're the, dean, of, the dean and CEO That's of right. Temple, yeah. and you've been in that job for how long now? So I accepted that job and came here, I guess I arrived in the middle of the pandemic when the country was closed in August of 2020. Mm -hmm. So we're coming up on about three years now. Did you move them into the new campus? Were you part of that? Or was so, that done before, prior so, to So the new campus in Sangenjaya, that was done right before I got That's here. That's what I thought, just yeah. a little so, bit before. So it was September of 2019 mm -hmm. um, was when that campus opened. Mm -hmm. And it was in operation until February of 2020. And um, then the pandemic happened. <laughs> and then, boom, closed down for um, about six months. Uh, when I came in in August, um, we were operating in person. A lot, a lot of the universities and schools were still closed, mm -hmm. but you know, COVID numbers in Japan were very low, and so we had probably 25% of our classes in person, 75% of the classes online, mm -hmm. and so as, as many other places were not dealing with the in-person, um, we had that going on, which um, mm -hmm. was, was really good. Right, mm -hmm. because that wasn't, they didn't make it mandatory. Never did. They never did, but mm -hmm. they understood how their society works. There's peer pressure and everything else. Absolutely. But you also understand the gaijin factor we have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and, 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 it, and, it was, and it was interesting It was interesting as well because, you know, as I came in, um, you know, fortunately I was granted special permission to come in even in the middle of the pandemic because of the fact that president, CEO, and dean of Temple University and a recognition that, okay, you know, this literally is, you know, the oldest, longest, you know, standing, you know, biggest, you know, American university or foreign university for that matter in Japan. So I was very fortunate that, you know, I was able to, to come on in. Um, and through that, you know, I was able to develop some relationships with, you know, people in the government. And, it was interesting, I was having a conversation, a sit-down conversation with a number of the lawmakers and you know, people in the ministry, wait, wait, wait. and, and they, they wanted the schools to be in person. I mean, but, let me, but let me ask this, Matt. Yeah. What made you decide to go that route? Because I don't think other universities necessarily try to get involved mm -hmm. with the politics. Oh, absolutely. And you did. Mm -hmm. I see the pictures you have with these guys, the, the Ministry of Education, the Ministry of Finance. What, I'm saying, wait just a minute. And why did you change the name from just president? You're the first time I've ever seen president and CEO. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the CEO part. Tell yeah, me so I, I mean, in terms of in terms of of kind of the the political route, uh, you know, Temple is so unique, right? I mean, 1980s, 1990s, about 40 foreign universities, predominantly American, decided to come to Japan and set up campuses. They're all gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Temple's kind of the survivor, right? And you know, even when I, when I came back, so you know, I ended up getting my law degree from Temple. I studied here um, as a law student. Phenomenal experience, um, and that's kind of where my love of, from Temple comes in. Did the international law thing in the United States, you know, based in Florida, and I come back in 2003 um, as a law faculty and director of the law program of Temple University. Now. I didn't realize it at the time, but um, I mean, Temple was really financially struggling. Um, so much so that there were conversations in Philadelphia about how much longer can we do this? 
And you know, at the time, Temple had decided to go unconventional in terms of who they would bring in as their dean, president, CEO, and um, turned to a gentleman by the name of Kirk Patterson. Um, he was an well. AIG, doing marketing, PhD from a Canadian university. You know, you wouldn't <laughs> think of first time they did that that profile. That's right. To to lead you know a branch campus or an institution, and it was they'd never done anything like that. Yeah. But in the mindset of the folks in in Philadelphia, they're like, okay, we need a native. <laughs> well, we need it. We need somebody who speaks Japanese at a native level. We need somebody who knows the business mm -hmm. can get along and maybe get into some political circles that your traditional academic that they had sent from Philadelphia just couldn't do. Right. And, and so as I came in as law professor and law program director, um, Kirk, I think, quickly figured out that I've got just this boundless energy. And so um, he quickly elevated me within his team. And the goal at that point in time was we need to be officially recognized by the Japanese government. Um, you know, we have gone it alone. When Temple first came in in 1982, there was a sit-down meeting with the Minister of Education, and Temple was talking about how they wanted to bring American-style education in English to the Japanese and make it convenient enough so that there could be a base of education here, and that could springboard them overseas. That was the initial right. concept yes, yes. that was there. Um, secondarily, there was a graduate teaching English as a second language, so training professors, right, or teachers mm -hmm. to teach English better. That was the initial concept underlying what Temple wanted to do. But as they were having this meeting with Mext and the minister, the minister was very quiet until the question was posed, you know, let us know how we can work together and what we can do for you. And the minister looked at the Temple delegation and said, you can go back to the United States. And, 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 the, de and the delegation just went, whoa. Yes. And, and so at that point in time, it was very clear that Japan did not want to work with, with Temple. This was 1982. 19, oh, in 1982 Nin he said that. Okay. 1982 is when he said it. Okay. But, I mean, that set Temple <coughs> on a different trajectory because uh, now they needed to be partners with someone, because back in the day, I mean, it was really a joint venture, right, mm -hmm. to come on in and to do business in Japan for a foreign entity. So the first joint venture partner uh, recruited all these students to temp for Temple to really come in non-degree English studies, um, got several hundred folks, collected the tuition, and he bolted. So, so now Temple is 0 for 2 um, in terms of coming on in, but the Temple name and brand is out, and Literally, this gentleman walked away with you know, three hundred thousand, three hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of money, and and Temple had to go. Okay, do we leave, or you know, do we just provide? You know, I mean, these folks had already paid for it, right? So Temple decided to swallow that pill. Um, had to go out and find another partner, right? Um, and so there were several partnerships that happened along the way, and it just was not working very well, right? So at some point in time, Temple decided we've got to go independent. The Japanese government still did not want to play ball. Um, and so Temple, um, to become an educational entity, I mean, that's what we are, right? It didn't work inside of the Japanese structure. And so as a result, we had to incorporate. And so Temple is public, nonprofit, and that's even how we operate here. I'm 100% wholly owned. But because the Japanese government um, would not play ball with us, 
that's why I became president. Well, that's why I'm in a position that is president and CEO, because that's how we have to function. Mm -hmm. Now, 2005, you know, so here we are, what, 23 years later. Um, international education becomes a trade issue between the United States and Japan. And so it gets elevated, the U.S. trade representative, senators in the United States, including Senator Joe Biden, um, you have the U.S. Embassy. Temple has friends in the Japanese government at that point in time from the politics. Um, Japan is now strapped with, okay, we need a solution to the Temple problem. Um, all of these universities have come in. They have found it's impossible to operate here, and they've left. And Temple's the one that's left. We need to do something. And so Japan changes the education law to put in a new category of educational entity that is foreign university, comma, branch campus. Okay. Temple University, comma, Japan campus. So that was, I mean, you know, that parcel, that piece of, of legislation really was, I mean, Temple was the trailblazer, right? Temple was, hey, you know, we need to get this done. Before that point in time, we couldn't sponsor student visas. So if a student wanted to come and do their undergraduate or their graduate degree here, it didn't work. I mean, a student could come for a short-term study abroad on a cultural activities visa, but that was only good for six months, right. and it could only be extended once. Um, the Japanese universities, very interestingly, I mean, Temple University's Japan campus is identical to main campus, right? I mean, if you study here in Tokyo, your degree comes from uh, the home institution in, in Pennsylvania. There's nothing on the degree that says Japan, but the Japanese universities wouldn't talk to us because we were not recognized. Uh, you know, back in the 1980s when we came in, the Japanese government asked Temple not to use the daigaku word, don't use university, <laughs> because that will imply <coughs> that you're approved by the Japanese government and you're mm -hmm. not, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there had been some talk about becoming a gakko hojin, right? Become kind of a Japanese university educational entity. But if you become a Gakko Hojin, you're all in Japanese university and you're subject to control of your professors, of your curriculum, of your facilities. Can't fire people, right? Yeah, and, and, and I mean, the type of building that you have, the credentials that folks have, and as an American university delivering 100% American curriculum with an international twist, you know, you can't have that dictated to you. I mean, even right now, for instance, there's restrictions on univer Japanese universities based in Tokyo rolling out new programs. The, the, the ministry does not want universities to do that because they want to drive the students out into universities outside of Tokyo. Why would we ever want to be part of that, right? You know, I'm bringing in a new hospitality and tourism degree this fall. Temple's hospitality and tourism programs ranked number seven in the world. And we've looked at the market. It's like, there's a great need here. It sure is. And um, Temple's got a top global program. And so I'm like, okay, talk to our main campus. Let's do this. Boom, it's done. You know, I've got two professors coming from the main campus. I'll go out and do some search. We're, we've advertising this to students. If I was a Japanese university, I couldn't do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, really, if you look at in innovativeness, creativity, you know, I mean, it just it, it was really stifling. So, fortunately, um, 
we didn't have to become a Gakko Hojin. Mm -hmm. uh, we were recognized as a foreign university Japan campus. And so, so, so and so, so now we're able to sponsor student visas. Now Japanese universities recognize us. Our student uh, can get discount train passes. How long has this been? For a year, two years now? What? So, so that, that happened in 2005. Uh, 2005. Well, but well, I, 2005 but that happened. But I was part of that, right? Okay. So I was general counsel of, right. of the campus. I was senior associate dean. So it's been a while. Okay. Working together with, with um, Dr. Patterson. You know, that together with, I think, the elevated visibility of Temple through that process, working with the politicians, um, you know, it helped people recognize a little bit more what Temple was and it brought credibility that enabled us to start to grow. So when I came in in 2003, there were probably about 350, maybe 300 undergraduate students mm -hmm. that Temple had. Mm -hmm. You know, professionally, kind of graduate school, you probably had mm, 300, 350, and then you had a bunch of non-degree students that were there. Um, but, you know, Temple just was not, you know, very well known. Recognition happens, visibility goes up, um, and the climb for new students starts to happen. We have students in the United States that want an American degree, but they want a Japan experience. You have students mm -hmm. here, Japanese and non-Japanese, that want a top international education in English, but they don't have the monetary um, means to go to the United States and to study there. And when you're in the United States as a foreign student, you can't work, right? You're away from home. So your costs are, are very, very high. And so as that starts to happen, you know, I was with Temple from 2003 to 2009. Um, we went from probably 300, 350 undergraduate students to about 800 undergraduate students. That was a major leap. In fact, um, we started to go out in the Minami Azabu area and rent more office mm -hmm. space and turn that into classrooms. Mm -hmm. So we went from struggling, barely meeting payroll, you know, in one building on probably four or five floors to yeah, now we're spread out over three different buildings, wow. and things are going great. So um, you have the tsunami and the earthquake that happened in 2011, yeah, and right. a lot of the foreigners leave. You, know, you had the Lehman shock that happened in 2008. Mm -hmm. So Lehman shock, earthquake, tsunami, and so you know Temple, the international population starts to drop, mm -hmm. but the local population is still pretty stable, right, in terms of that. 2014, you've got maybe 800 undergraduate students, um, and Temple starts to build. Showa Women's University, um, very interested in partnering with Temple, building a building for Temple that Temple can lease. Um, Showa Women's University, they have the British School on their campus. They sure do. So they, Temple's they, there now too? Yeah, and so, so they actually, just outside of their walls, had a big parcel of land, and so they built two buildings to attract Temple to come on in to this university campus setting. So this is, this is where we... And this is 2000 what? So this would have been 2019. 19. So 2019, at that point in time, Temple's at about mm, maybe 1,200 students um, along those lines. New building, a lot of excitement, boom, pandemic happens, borders close down, international students can't get in. And I'm president of a university in Missouri, and I'm getting calls from Temple saying, hey, the presidency, the deanship, you know, here in Tokyo, it's vacant. Um, 
you know, at first I'm like, guys, I just moved. But now you have your, how many kids do you have at this time? So we, we have four kids at that but time. I mean, but at that time you already had your four kids. Oh, yeah. We what were their ages? Kids. What were their ages? So um, when I got that call in 2019, um, I had, I've got four, and they would have been mm, 18, the 20, oh, 22, and 26. Okay, so they're almost finished. Okay. So they're, they're, they're almost done. So yeah. they're, they're almost done. Um, and um, in fact, even my youngest, he had just started university. Ph- mm-hmm. Phenomenal classical pianist, one of the best in the world. You know, he was off at Eastman School of Music. The only in, one of in, your in, in four York. kids? In terms of... Piano. Uh, old, oldest plays, um, number two plays, um, but number four is like world class. And number three is your daughter. Um, no, number one mm. is my daughter. Number one's your daughter, okay. Yeah. Number three is my violinist. Uh, he's my um, my engineer. One girl and three boys? Yeah, a okay. girl up top, three boys down three below. Boy, okay. mm-hmm. So she's pianist? She's a pianist slash vocalist. Vocalist, um, okay. Mm-hmm. And your second? Second, Josh, um, he is my sports player, but um, he also plays the piano, um, okay. just, just for fun. All right, all right. Uh, number three, um, he's our engineer. I mean, he loves sports too, um, and he's our violinist. Um, And number four, literally, um, I mean, he placed third place in an international piano competition in Tennessee when he was five. He's played Carnegie Hall four times. Um, He's played the Kennedy Center. Um, He's, you know, performed and and succeeded in international competitions. He's he's been a uh, top American finalist in piano competitions in the Netherlands, in France, um, Rome, Spain. Um, so anyway. That's amazing. So he's, he's, amazing. he's, he's been quite amazing. But, amazing. but yeah, they, they, were, they were all out of the house. And I mean, I just started a job in Missouri. Um, a lot of, of um, things that the university didn't know about the condition of the university that were never disclosed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and so I'm getting calls from Temple saying, hey, this is open, you know, this is kind of right before the pandemic. <clears throat> um, when the pandemic happened, it was like, okay, we really need a strong leader to come on in. You know, we know you love Temple. You know, Temple's part of your fiber and being. And, you know, truthfully, it was. I mean, you know, my, my study abroad experience here in 1997 was phenomenal. Couldn't have been any better. Couldn't Temple. have been any better. Yeah, right. and, you know, I mean, I got introduced to politicians and judges and, you know, internships um, here. and. It was just amazing. And then, you know, coming back in 2003 and 2009, you know, being part of that, the legal world here and the political world and those type of things and bringing Temple through that, um, that, you know, 2009, we left Japan because of my youngest and his piano. We had discovered his, doing, yeah, his talent. Well, we, we discovered his talent, prodigy, yeah. but Japan does not do a good job elevating talent. and Because it's wari wari. It, it is, and, yeah. and you know we you know we connected with a university professor in the U.S. Mm-hmm. who was happy to help us when you know James is like six. Um, here we come back with the same expectation, and the university professors are like, "What? No, not no. going to happen." Right? <laughs> and, not and, open and, up and, yet. And we no. talk to the conservatories, <laughs> and they're like, no. "No." And we talk to the concert pianists, and they're like, "Well, we get it, yeah, right? Because no. we've gone overseas, but we're like, we're traveling, and your son needs the the week." you know, week by week stuff. And so we finally were directed to who is regarded as the top piano teacher in Japan for youth. And she listened to my son play and she's like, he's just incredible. 
She's like, I'll take him. But the only time that I have that I could teach him was like Wednesday nights at 11 p.m. I mean, our son is six, and this would be you know an hour and a half away from where we live, and he'd be finishing up piano 11 lessons at, at midnight. Yeah, that's the only place that she could. But she him. did it. You did it. Well, she was willing. No, we we said we said we can't do it. Okay, okay. I mean, we lived out in Sheba at the time. So would you we do? Couldn't do that to our son. So we moved back to the United States. For how long? So I was in the U.S. for about 11 years. So I was at um, University of Wyoming initially as a professor then as associate dean of their law school. So we did that for about five. And then I was at, in Ohio at the University of Akron as dean of the law school uh, for about a year and eight months. Um, the new president came in the same time that I did and didn't last more than a year and eight months. Mm. And um, had done some really magical things at um, the University of Akron School of Law in terms of a turnaround, growing enrollment, new programs, mm -hmm. innovative mm -hmm. stuff. and. Um, so the board called me one day and said, hey, we've been watching the law school stuff. Do you think you could do that at the university level? Um, you know, we've got a lot of problems and we need somebody to turn it around. So anyway, that, that's how I ended up as president of the University of Akron. And then um, University of Missouri um, recruited me away. And so that's where I was. Walked into a place that I thought was solid, that was not, it was turning into another turnaround. I'm like, okay, I've got the formula. I just did this at the University mm -hmm. of Akron. Um, you know, I can do this when the phone is ringing from Temple. So, you know, as, as, we, as we hit the, I think if the pandemic had not happened, I would not be here today. Because there was, I said, I will at least go through the process until you get to the point that you're going to go public. Because I've got so much to do in Missouri to turn this university around that if they even know that I'm talking to someone, you know, I'm not going to be able to make this work. So that was condition number one. Uh, you know, condition number two was, as much as I love Temple, the timing was just off, right? And so I'm just like, timing-wise, I just don't think I can do this. But Temple asked four times. And, you know, I've got this allegiance to Temple. Right, and so right. I was like, okay, you know, I'll at least listen. Uh, but when the pandemic happened, two things changed. One, the search, that ensured it was going to stay confidential and not go public. And then the second thing was, is as we thought about it, we're like, okay, we helped Temple through a very difficult time, uh, 2003, you know, through nine. Um, we've seen what Temple has become. They've got this new building, you know, but now if the borders are closed and students <laughs> can't get in, um, boy, they may be in a really bad spot, right? And so that kind of pierced my heart. And I was like, hmm you know, maybe I can take what I learned in the 11 years I was away from Japan, come back and, and help out. So when I came in, Temple was about 1,200 undergraduate students. Um, here I sit, um, Temple's at 1,850 undergraduate students. Mm -hmm. We've grown 50% in about two and a half years. Um, undergraduate students will probably be um, over 2,000 mm -hmm. um, here, um, and everybody is just blown away. Because give me, give me a, who would just have a thought? few keys as to what you do to make that happen. Oh. You know, the, the biggest key in providing an education is putting students first. And it's very easy to say. I think it's much more difficult to do. What do you mean by that? Well, well, from, from the top, it means my door is always open. Okay. And, and I'm, accessi and they know I'm accessible. Oh, they know it. Well, I know. And I mean, I see you giving out food. You're always out there. You're every place where they're going to be. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So I'm I'm on the basketball court. I know. Playing with the basketball club. <laughs> Breaking your nose. I know you do everything. Yeah, yeah ab absolutely. And, and you know, it, but and it's so. But the kids really can relate to that. They they do. And they and, know, you know you're there. So here I am guarding somebody, right? And um, and this this is last week. And so dripping in sweat, one one of the students looks at me. He's like, "How do you learn Japanese?" He's like, "I I, I need some tips." And, and you know, there. You know, I'm almost getting emotional on the basketball court because I'm like, that's why I do this. It's because I've got someone who's here from Hawaii, who's struggling with the Japanese language, who I'm putting myself in a comfortable enough position that have they'll have that conversation. That's right. Right? That's the, right. the week before that, um, I took a group of 41 students up to Nokogiriyama. And um, so, you know, we're out on the um, ferry taking the, the bus across, and I'm up on the top deck. And I've got student after student coming to me asking me about careers, or you know, talking to me about you, you know so personal good you things. Know what to do. Well, it does right, I mean, and, and it's just you know, it's, it's like having a conversation with my sons, right? You know, yeah, it's, right. It's, well, it's, they are it, your sons. I mean, they're your sons and your daughters. And that's and that's and that's exactly what my right. my wife reminds me all the time. She's right. like, you know, I wanted five kids, which is interesting for somebody who's Japanese. <laughs> and, and, and I drew I drew the line, but she's just like. I'm glad we didn't have five because you've picked up thousands and thousands, thousands of and thousands kids, you know, kids. that are there. But I mean, it, it, and it really is. I mean, it kind of goes back to um, even you know my desire to you know serve a mission, um, and you know even before that, you know, to kind of volunteer, just a service mindset. So if you have a service mindset mm -hmm. as a leader in education. You're engaging with these students on a different level. I mean, you don't have university presidents hang, handing out, no, you know, no, 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 no. one eleven hundred cups of Baskin Robbins ice cream, and still, but and still having the respect from that student. Absolutely. See, because every now and then, being able to handle that, yeah. I think, would be a challenge. First of all, for most people, because parenting, first of all, is something that people aren't taught. It's true. How to parent. Absolutely. The most important thing they'll ever do should they decide to become one. That's right. They're not taught how to do it. Not at all. It's just, you know, by example from your own parents. You know? And whether and they did the it right or whether they did it wrong. And you take out the things you didn't like. Oh, absolutely. That's all you do. And then you do the same thing, though. That's right. You kind That's of reverse it. So I really admire the fact that you're doing that. I saw that through the pictures I so, looked at. So, you know, it, it, it's, but it is one of those things where, you know, I give out my business card to students. It has my personal cell phone number on it. Why wouldn't you know, it? Pe people have said you're crazy, but I'm like, you know, I know that the level of respect that students have is such that they're not going to abuse it. You know, they're going to use it at the time that they need it the most. And I've had some really special experiences with students in times of crisis where they have reached out to me. Um, and, you know, I, I had a student away from family, thousands and thousands of miles away. And he was having a personal crisis and he was too embarrassed to talk to his dad. And so he shows up in my office at 7.30 at night and he was like, I was thinking, okay, who could I talk to? And it was you, right? And so, you know, that tells me that, okay, I'm getting through to these students. And, um, you know, when you say student first, like I said, you know, it's, it's action, right? It, has, it has to be genuine. You have to walk your talk. And it has to be genuine. You mm -hmm. have to have the trust. You know, you can't mm -hmm. abuse that trust. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that really makes a difference. And so, you know, even on the prospective student side, you know, and parent-wise, um, you know, other university presidents, presidents, you wouldn't see it at, you know, university information sessions or open campus, but I make it a point well, again, you know, to be there and engage with parents and students. Man, and I think your religion does it, but it's not just your religion, because if that was the case, all Mormons would be the same way, and they're not. That's true, yeah. Okay? Absolutely. You came from a very special environment. 
And your father had to have some of that, and so did your mother, or mm -hmm. else you couldn't have had the seeds planted. Oh, absolutely. The fact where you said your mother was so liberal with you and allowed you to go neighbor to neighbor to neighbor at three years old. Oh, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? I, I would never let my own kids do that, <laughs> right? Parenting. It but, takes but, a very, but she was, in the, she was in the environment where she could do it. Absolutely. And, and she and knew the people. And she, she knew, knew where you were going. She knew the people, and it was, it yeah. was good. And it, and it really, interesting. you know, as, as I give inspirational talks to high school students and college students, you know, I tell that story about Alice because, I mean, there's so many lessons that come from that, right, about, you know, turning to others to learn what your strengths are and, and to finding out what your weaknesses are and what you're good at and what the career paths are, right? There's just so much that's there. But you know, I'm so grateful to, to my parents. I'm so grateful to my, my elementary school teacher right. that would now, let me go Alice, to the library. Who's Alice? So Alice was the widow the that widow, was the, on the The told you should become a, that, an oratory. That, that said I had to become yes. a lawyer, right? You know, that, that would be there. So. No, but I didn't ask this, and I should have asked it earlier. How are your parents doing? Um, parents are okay. My, my mom's physically struggling right now, and it's just sure. happened literally in the last couple of days. Mm. So I'm kind of worried about her. She's, she um, uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's um, oh, about so two years ago. And um, so she's been able to, to deal with that really well until probably this last week. How old is your mother? How old are you? So um, dad is 75 and mom okay. is 72. Okay. Oh. Yeah. That's a sad thing, yeah. But um, they do okay. they've been both very, very healthy. But it seems like you know Parkinson's mm -hmm. is getting the best of my mom. Mm -hmm. But thanks mm -hmm. for asking. And they're in Salt Lake. They're in Salt Lake. Okay. Well, they're yeah. in a good area. At least they're in a good place. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. For sure, good, yeah. good place. Good medical care. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Before I end the podcast, there's a question I always like to ask. Sure. If you could magically go back in time and see the younger Matt mm -hmm. and give him advice from what you know now. What age would he be, and what time would you go back to? Mm -hmm. Boy, you know that's that's a that's a deep question, right? Um, probably, if I could do that, probably be back in the high school years, right? You know, because I, I I do think uh, back in the high school years uh, there was an element. Well, I know there was an element of, of pride and, hey, I can go and do anything and I always have the right answers and, you know, I don't need to listen to anyone else and boom, I can just kind of go forward, right? Um, you know, it was that experience in Japan, my mission experience that just, you know, knocked me in the nose, <laughs> both literally and figuratively, right? That, that then, you know, I really had to reflect and kind of grow. It became mortal, yeah. Yeah, it, it, would, it would have been nice to have known that <laughs> before, you know, high school. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I tried my best when I was in high school, but, you know, you kind of go back and you're like, okay, you know, that pride, I probably shunned some people that I shouldn't have, you know, uh, not that, you know, I was a bad kid or, you know, I mean, I had a lot of friends and runs in friend circles, but um, I really would have liked to have gone back and embraced some people that were outside of the popular circle that, um, you know, I probably should have paid more attention to, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, it, and it's interesting, you know, sitting here at age 52 and kind of reflecting on that going, oh, I wish I would have treated everyone well, right? Mm -hmm. And, but, you know, I mean, it, I think you it's never just, know. A, just you never a, know. Just and the thing is, you never, because yeah. of the time we're in right now and because the media is so prevalent everywhere, mm. they might hear you say that. Yeah, the very people that want to know what you turned out to be, what you like. Absolutely, and, and, and you know, I can only pinpoint a few instances that I would go back and, and change. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, oh, 
that person wanted my time and I completely ignored them. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I said something to someone and I didn't mean it that way, but it came across as, as something different and I didn't take the time to correct it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, th that, that really is, is the thing. I mean, it kind of goes back to what we talked about before. The negativity just kills me. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I try and do what I can to take the negatives, instead of dwelling on those, flip those into positives. And um, something that I've learned over the course of my life, I wish I would have known that back in high school because I could have made the world an even better place. A well, look, I think early. you have a lot more time ahead of you. I hope you do, so yeah. you can continue to do that. Well, thank you. Matt, I want to thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. It's been wonderful, really. Yeah. And I will have you on again. Sounds I good. have to. <laughs> I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Never forget, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed. <laughs>